Find your feet with the Find Your Feet podcast. I've just waved Lee out the door again and I feel like I'm tingling a little bit all over. First and foremost, though, before I get into my introduction on Lee, I just want to welcome you to the Find Your Feet podcast. And obviously, I'm Hannie Alston. I've been delivering the podcast now for around a year and been wanting to share with our community all these fascinating people that have come into my world. So that really brings me to Lee. Lee Belbin came into my world because he'd actually been a listener of the podcast and someone who'd also been coming into the Find Your Feet retail store to sort of poke around and explore. He felt like he had some feedback for the podcast and uh, gave me some very, very um, honest and open advice for which I'm incredibly grateful for. But as I got to know him through this advice he was providing to me, I realized that he too had a really fascinating story. Someone quite active at a young age, particularly in the world of cycling and then moving through triathlon, he has become quite a strong runner in his own right and someone who at 69 years of age has never been injured so that to me immediately went wow like what's he doing right but Lee is also an incredible scientist and someone who's become world renowned for his work Uh, his role now is in the atlas of living things for Australia a large database which is compiled from many databases uh to provide a succinct place for people to come to for learning. But when he was writing to me as well, he started raising these theories around the way that he lives his life, one being this concept of punctuated equilibrium. When he first raised it, I actually had never connected with this, although he'd likened it to my concepts on wave training. So I started to do my homework on it. And punctuated equilibrium is a theory that arose out of ecological sciences and also paleontology around the the way that beings can be in a, a relative period of stasis for a period of time before a big event can happen, whether it's stemming from an internal event or an external event, that forces a person to grow or to change or forces a thing to, to grow or to change. So this theory um, really triggered my interest and I realised like I had to get Lee onto this podcast so today is a bit more philosophical than some of the other podcasts that we've had and it, it's an explore into the mind of a 69-year-old male and how he's managed to, to live his life with the punctuation marks that have been thrown at him or have stemmed from within him along the way. I had tried to get to understand more of him as an athlete and his approach to avoiding injury and also to understand how he's had to restructure his definitions of success as he's um, grown with maturity and age. I hope today, though, he has wisdom in it for anyone of any age, of any ability and of any fascination um, in life. I really do believe that Lee brings a real richness to the podcast and I'm so excited to deliver this conversation to you today. So without further ado, I do want to jump right into this podcast with Lee and thanks to everyone who's been supporting us through this podcast journey, through the Find Your Feet journey, and also a quick best wishes to anyone who's running in the big Ultra Trail, Ultra Trail Australia coming up. We know that you will all bloom and love that day. All right, here's my conversation with Lee. This morning for a 
I run? Yeah, I actually went out for a walk this morning because the Carlton River was flooded and I thought, I'm not going to take a chance swimming across it this morning. Yeah. <clears throat> so you so. open water swim in the mornings, do you, Lee? Yeah. Or surf, was that right? Oh, I, I, my routine, as I said, the standard background is I have a run, a standard run in the morning which goes along the beach from my place. Swim, I swim across the river. I run up to the top of a bluff. There's about a 120-metre climb. Um, along the top, back down around, along the river, and then swim back across and back to the house. Wow. How long does that take? Oh, about um, 45 minutes. 45 minutes, yeah. yeah it's, it's so nice, though, waking up and actually being outside. Like, I, um, we, we've got these, like, as you know, horrendous weather system that's just come through, and this morning I was like, I can't get on a bike because I've been a bit, <laughs> a little bit, bit niggly and can't run. And so I went to the gym, but it's just not the same. Like you just don't wake up with the same like zing. Yeah. True. I, well, I, you know, I'm quite happy. That's the other point about me. I, I certainly when I was teaching aerobics, which I only ever did as a side thing because I was basically a scientist, but I kept getting people asking me to train them. So I thought I better get some qualifications, which I did. And then I started because to keep the qualifications up, I had to do some formal stuff, stuff with the gym. Yeah. So, but the interesting thing about that was that I had a very scientific approach to it and it was part of the reason I got out of the game because it became too fatty. So what I had a policy of is working around the whole body uh-huh. over a period of about three sessions. <clears throat> you would work almost the complete body. The f- thing I picked up from that was I could, and if I was just doing that and teaching that, you know, maybe three times, four times a week or something, um, I could go out and just do, just about do anything. <laughs> In other words, because of the general approach that I took to training, I could go swimming, I could go running, I could go cycling, I could play tennis. I mean, it just was never a problem. I yeah. always had that good level of fitness, but I also had some pretty good muscle trim for the whole body. Yeah. So the situation now is, well, I'm not teaching aerobics now, but I'm very happy to go, oh, I'm not going to have a run this morning. I will go for a walk, which is what I did this morning. So I've got a reasonable walk that I do uh, with a little bit of a sandy hill climb yeah. uh, and stuff like that. To me, it's like you know, you've got to be careful about there's a lifestyle, but you've got to be careful about addictions as well. Yeah, you, you know that far better. Well, than I yeah, I do, and I mean, <coughs> um, I feel like a lot of the work that I do is around helping people to break down their rules and addictions, and to I guess create yep. some form of structure loose structure in which they can play that will take them towards their dreams and i and i guess that's why i wanted to bring you onto the podcast because i've worked now with and i've podcasted a lot of people who have um you know really amazing depth of knowledge in certain areas and we've been able to really dig into the science of it but i guess what attracted to me me to you was that you seem to have more of a deep intuition about yourself and quite like a worldliness and I mean I've looked at all of your um the books that you've read and that you've re- reviewed online I think it was 984 books something like that even just in the last I think it was five years or something it was extraordinary and you don't come as someone who's I guess trained in science you don't come yeah. across as that very black and white thinker that I'm familiar with in my own science background okay interesting so i guess what it, my opening question to you really lee is like do you see yourself as intuitive or spiritual or like how do you see yourself oh i certainly see i think uh, i could come back to a thing that i picked up many many years ago <coughs> i'm certainly not religious but there's a 
There's a verse in the Bible which says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And someone pointed out to me, you've got physical, uh, you've got um, intellectual, you've got spiritual. Mm. Uh, and I forgot what the fourth one was. Um, that's right, you've got physical, intellectual, social, mm-hmm. and spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you're like me, I already know. Um, you get out in the bush, you know, get out in the trail. And oh, I, yeah. I just, <laughs> I, you know, I'm off with the fairies to a large extent. And uh, so that has probably been a bit of a philosophy that, you know, I don't focus in on any one of those, but it does give you a bit of a balance. And it was interesting, probably 20, 30 years after that, I was doing some training at Mount Eliza on leadership. They run a weekly intensive course on leadership training. And lo and behold, they came back to those four principles yeah, from a totally different perspective. Yeah, they weren't using a you know a Bible verse for it, but you know they actually have a pin that you get at the end of the course, and it's got four dots in this red background. And guess what? That's those four aspects. Four aspects. So yes, I mean, am I spiritual? Well, there's a bit of me that certainly is, but. Uh, I, I could have sworn black and blue years ago that I wasn't spiritual. But what, if, what I guess I've come to understand about spirituality is it's more a willingness to ask questions. Whereas I feel like religion is a probably more searching for answers. Yep. I think it's a slightly different way of thinking. And I, I also, I guess, have come to understand a little bit more about like femininity and masculinity. And I think the feminine energy tends to connect more to nature and to want to be outside and asking questions and sort of exploring, whereas the masculine energy is more goal-focused, more orientated, more black and white. I don't know whether I'm generalising too much, but... It's a Venn diagram. <clears throat> You've got overlaps. Mm. Yeah, there'll be men that have got a you know a very sensitive side you know you've got some very aggressive women who've got to you know very much a masculine side as well but uh, look i generally agree with you i think that's exactly right i think uh, i think there really are and viva la difference to some extent too yeah. in other words uh, we have to be careful of not uh, heading all heading for the middle ground i think we need to pick up on our strength you know the the qualities the femininity of you know Something I, yeah. as I said to you that I very strongly support you um, on on a whole series of bases, but certainly one of them is your support of women. Yeah. In other words, uh, with with uh, supporting them for travel for things like that and education in particular, I think it's uh, I think it's just fantastic. Yeah, I guess I've started to shift a little bit more from that um, need to do more to be more. So yep. need to need to achieve to be, um, to becoming a bit more like need to be more to do more, and I think yeah. like then okay. I started to reframe that into like how I believe that we can master performance, which I felt was about developing this really strong understanding of self, like self awareness and intuition and um, connection with soul. When you take away like everything that you're trying to achieve, and I call that like be wild. Um, and in that, I also believe it's about empowering yourself and being really proud of the way that you live your life. And probably okay. very potently at the moment is like a connection to the natural world um, and living gently. And then I kind of believe that it, it comes about needing to like search for what you love to do. Um, cool. And I call that my play wild. And I think only then you can really discover your sense of purpose beyond that, which I call the perform wild element and really striving for the heights of it. And so that probably leads me into my second question for you, Lee, which was um, 
do you feel like you have an awareness of what your purpose is in life? Very much so. Um, <clears throat> I think you have a f- you sort of think in terms of circles. I guess. I mean, there's a responsibility and a, a immediacy of the connection with your family mm. and close friends, and beyond that, in work relationships, and you know, you have to think about investing in in every aspect of that, and and beyond that, of course. Um, like some of the things you do, certainly the podcast, you know, go, goes worldwide, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So you know you're influencing a whole bunch of people all over the place. And the same with me, I suppose, particularly in relation to my career. Um, I mean, you might publish papers and they get picked up all over the world and you see people citing the work, you know, in Afghanistan or Africa or yeah. the United States or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. Um I do, I certainly have, um, you know, as you pointed out, masculine, masculine aspect is pretty goal-oriented at times. Um, and I think I've always had a philosophy that I had to my children was find things that you really enjoy doing. Mm. And secondly, in some cases, find someone who's going to pay you to do it <laughs> because you have <laughs> to live. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you know, if you're going to have an impact on the world, you've got to exist and not only exist, uh, you've got to be beyond that uh, because you know, if you're just simply existing, you're really not going to have much opportunity for outreach. Yeah. You'll be in maintenance mode, so to speak. So look, yes, most definitely, I mean, the work that I'm... I've always been doing, I've had a very hard think about the reason for getting into it and it's always been that I really desire to leave the world a better place uh, as a consequence of the bits that I'm doing and yes it's very hard to some extent determining what the impacts are at Mm. times but you know the feedback as you very well know comes out of left field sometimes and it's just really wonderful to um, when that feedback occurs. Now, this, this certainly applies, you know, well, guys are very career-oriented, <coughs> and I'm probably no different. Um, so there's always been a key focus on that, but I think the, it applies right across your life. In other words, your influence, in fact, on the people around you. And I've, for a long time, been of the opinion it's you know, it's not what you say, it's what you do. Mm. So the best thing you can do is just demonstrate. Do you feel like you... Um you sought or you, you were seeking purpose or was it something that you just developed as you matured into you as Lee? Um, and then I guess the follow-on from that is like when you feel like you're not in line with your purpose, does it really bother you and, and push you out to look for other ways of thinking? Yeah, it's true. I think I, it was certainly an evolutionary rather than a revolutionary process. Um, I picked up a scholarship to do geology and I thought, oh, well, I'm, the good part of that is I'm out in the field. And the interesting thing about geology is one geologist is probably just as good as any other. It's an unusual game, but it gave me a background in earth sciences and some of the physical sciences. And there was an opportunity there to get into it and I enjoyed it and I practiced it for a number of years. I did work uh, in a consulting game and I also was teaching uh, aspects of geoscience in the mm. ANU and I could always see that uh, in those ways I was certainly green in orientation but I was operating in a very brown environment mm. but I was you know I could see that I could have a big influence because when I was doing it it was you know back in the 70s 
you know, and those were early days for the recognition of the significance of, you know, things like mining and rehabilitation. So, uh, but then the opportunities came up that moved me into ecology. Mm. And that, to me, was a much more natural fit. So there was, you know, someone would say that was a pretty radical career change. To me, it was just a, you know, it was a piece of that punctuated equilibrium that I raised. <coughs> um, that that I was in an area then where I could certainly see the immediacy of what I was doing because I was involved in a lot of the mathematical work in, in setting up conservation areas in Australia in particular. So, yeah. So that became more in line with your values of, you know, like you say, green living and... Correct. Yeah. It was an easier way, I think, to be more aligned uh, with the emerging... Uh, priorities I guess you'd say yeah and in a pretty exciting area you know so this was around was 1970s you I think you raised so working you began to work with the Australian Antarctic Division around about 2005 I okay think. so quite well, 95 late. sorry quite late in the piece <coughs> yeah yeah yes yeah, so I'd been a research scientist probably for the best part of about 16 years <coughs> excuse me with CSIRO and um then I went to the Antarctic Division more to set up the data centre down there uh, and to you know get it up and running, employ all the staff and build up policy around it because those were the days where there was a, rec- there was a beginning recognition that particularly in Australia, the majority of research is public funded. So where is the outcome of this research? Yes, there are papers, but the average person doesn't read that. And what was, in fact, uh, important to me was that the information that was incredibly valuable and that was collected at great cost should be put back into the public domain. Um, So, and that was at a stage where that was just being thought about. Um, And the Australian Antarctic Data Centre that I set up was probably at least 10 years ahead of the rest of the world. It's probably the only place that has what I call a a cradle-to-grave strategy. So when you put in for a research uh, application to, say, go south of the Antarctic, you're actually using a system that I originally wrote to capture that information. Interesting. And then when I go back and ask the scientists, you know, right, uh, you've had your two years exclusive use of that information, now it goes back into the public domain. I have most of the information about what they've been doing anyway, so I don't have to ask them for it again. But it's really important that that data does go back into the public domain because it then can be reused for things that the uh, original person connect, collecting that data you know, had absolutely no concept of. Yeah. And uh, I think the greatest example that I ever gave of that was uh, there was a paper written by a person who was, I think he's back in the Antarctic Division now, <coughs> Bill de la Mer. And he wrote a paper that utilised the old whaling records in the Southern Ocean uh, which there are still records of, mm. uh, going way back into the 1700s. Uh, and what he did is he looked at where the southernmost catches of whales were in those historical days, and right up in, up to up into early uh, last century, and um, <clears throat> used it to determine that the sea ice extent in the Antarctic had decreased over time, mm. because the reasoning was. The whales go along the sea ice edge, and if the sea ice edge is changing over time, uh, this will give us a mechanism of 
going back into previous centuries that we had no other way of dealing with. Interesting. And he and the, the take-home message is not that. The take-home message is, would the whalers in 1700s have figured out that their data would be used to detect climate change? <laughs> yeah. The answer is, no, I don't think so. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? <laughs> Oh, I'm feeling such a connection even to the... I mean, obviously, we, we work in very different worlds, but in yes. some ways, parallel worlds. Because like you mentioned, if there isn't systems like what you've created, knowledge gets trapped. And it gets trapped in an elite world, and it's very hard for the everyday citizen to kind of connect into that. Yes. And I notice that's sort of where you've been going with your career with the Atlas of Living Things of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's about trying to put all these databases together and put all of the information into, I guess, one setting so that it's more accessible for the everyday person to access and other scientists, obviously. Correct. Is that correct? That is correct, yeah, yes. Yeah, really interesting. And that's the reason I got into it, <clears throat> because uh, it was very close to my heart and it was a fabulously well-thought-out federal government initiative which is a part of what's now called the National Collaborative Research Information Strategy. And in fact, in the budget a few days ago, it's actually got quite a goodly amount of money and it's a bit sad that other areas like ABC, etc., have actually not mm. done so well. Anyway, that's another story. But yes, the Atlas was set up and in fact, I was my arm was twisted like it was with the Antarctic Division to come on board there and see what I could do to help out. And it's very dear to my heart because, yes, the information was very much locked up in thousands of different locations. And, you know, here we are in a situation of attempting to conserve the planet. And yet what data are we going to use the decision to make the Mm. decision on? So it was really important to get this fundamental flora fauna, you know, where do things occur in Australia? You know, if something is going to happen here, how significant is that to the ecology? You know, what does... What is the biodiversity trying to tell us? So to me, it was just like a no-brainer. It was like, yes. And that's the reason I am still working, you know, by, own, by my own choice part-time at this stage uh, because I want to ease down and out of it. And I, I spent the last two days, in fact, training some people to take over some of my work. Uh, but I've still got a heart to keep it on, uh, at least. And my role in the Atlas at the moment is largely to provide um, scientific advice to the Atlas and to provide outreach to the research community. And I, I still have a very big heart for doing that yeah. because it is still not accomplished and there are so many things that we uh, that need to be done. And I think the majority of things that I want to see happen will probably happen over the next year or two. So That's it's actually, exciting. it's exciting stuff. <clears throat> so it sounds like your sense of purpose is about contribution, is it? And, and making sure, like you said, that we're leaving the planet in a way that we're proud of for our children to enjoy as well is that correct that's certainly correct yeah it's a bit sad the way it is at the moment i'm afraid yeah it scares me a little bit these days i must admit um as a younger person thinking that you know hopefully we'll be on the planet for the next 60 70 years um you know you wonder you see how much it's shifted in the 32 years that i've been around and then you think like wow (laughs) where, where can it go um but i think we have to keep like a positive mindset and um, keep yes. striving forwards yes. and uh, probably leading me a little bit into a question that's been burning in the back of my brain is, you know, you've, you're a very, very high achiever in your work environment. You've um, been involved in athletics and cycling and like a range of sports since you were sort of 10, 12, 14 years old. 
I'm curious to know how you define success. Like, is mm. it about like a set outcome or a thing you want to achieve? Or is it more about like a way about the way you think about performing or a way you want to achieve? I think it's fair to say it's evolved from the, again, the very masculine, oh, I'd love to win this race. Yeah. Uh, to a, how do I feel at the moment in terms of my fitness? Uh-huh. And I mean, that general, am I happy with my lifestyle? Um, I just recently f- joined up with the group in uh, Atlas for this global challenge, global mm-hmm. fitness challenge. Mm-hmm. And I had to answer a whole series of questions. And it was quite interesting, the questions they asked. But they were, they were along the lines of, you know, well, how do you feel your level of fitness is? How do you feel emotionally, uh, etc. And I And it was, it was quite interesting to, to look back at that to say, um, actually... I'm, I'm quite happy as because the fundamental lifestyle, I think, is sort of in the right place. And as you very well know, it's, it's a sort of a, you know, the, that's the mental, you know, the intellectual, spiritual, the whole balance of those yeah. four things, the social. In other words, you're not cutting yourself off from the community or your yeah. family, for that matter, uh, in what you're doing. Um, so there is just, there's a, so there's a move, I think, in uh, evolutionary <laughs> move from the typical male approach to, you know, I really would like to win that race, and I'm not certainly not saying that's wrong. Uh, I think to have goals, you know, is, is highly appropriate. You just may want to think about having goals like every month of the same nature. You might then tend to question it. More along the lines of, if anyone asks me, where, how are you right now? Mm-hmm. I'm happy in myself. Huh. That's the evolutionary, and I'm, as I said to you, I think in one of the emails that uh, yes, I like doing the crazy things every now and again, and I and that's the punctuated equilibrium again. Can't it's wait like, to get to that. Yep. <laughs> that's the you know that's the like okay you you're good where you are, but hey, challenge occasionally you know just yeah. get out of your comfort zone <clears throat> because failure is the greatest way of learning. Even so, even if you don't achieve what you set out to do, you know you will learn a lot in the process of doing it. Yeah, so I, that brings for me a really important question, um, and I'm putting my again my own my feet in my own shoes right at the moment to kind of understand where your version of success is coming from, because you're doing a lot of trail running still, and you've done a few races here and there. I know. So how does that version of success shift when you go to stand on a start line? Does it? Does suddenly you have an expectation about what you want to achieve in that race or, or do times come into play <coughs> or is pride in essence or self-pressure in essence or are you still standing on that start line going, I feel pretty happy in myself and I just kind of really want to have a fun day and I'm kind of curious to see what the outcome is. I think there's a mix. There are times when you'll be on the start line, you're not feeling all that great <clears throat> and um, you say, well, let's go with the flow and let's see where it takes me. There are times when I've been on the start line and you say, I want to beat two hours for this particular um, event. Um, a classic, I remember once that I think it was probably one of the little local um, city to surf fun runs here. Yeah. Where I thought, oh, as a strategy, what I'm going to do, you know, because I felt like I felt down a little bit and I said, I'm going to start actually right at the back. And as you very well know, that's probably maybe a couple of hundred metres behind the start line or whatever. And I said, I'm actually going to start back there. And it was a, there was a little bit of science in it in the sense that I've always been a strong believer in you don't stretch cold. Um, 
and you should actually try and stretch in line with the activity that you're doing. So in this particular event, I vividly remember saying, right, start right at the back. Guess what? No one's going to come past me. <laughs> Guess I'm last. <laughs> and then it was a matter of I was starting to go past people, of course, during the whole race, right through to the finish. You know, my and my um, soul was sort of built up, you know, during the race. And I, you know, it was a very good way of actually doing it. But yeah. that was one particular approach <clears throat> to one particular race. But yes, there's a spectrum. Because I, I sat down with my, with actually with my mum, um, in preparation for the podcast, who's of a very similar age, and um, I asked her, you know, what, you know, this this is this person's bio. What what would you want to know from Lee? What would you want to learn from Lee? And um, she sort of raised. She sort of said to me, "Oh, to be young again," you know. And (laughs) she made a point that for her to predict what she'll be doing in 10 years time would mean that she's now thinking about what she's doing when she's 72, not when she's 42. And her comment is that it's, it's very different. And I can kind of hear where she's coming from. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that though. Uh, Look, that's, that is another evolutionary process. You know, there's no way that, you know, physically I can do the things that I could do at 20. You have to, you have to um, understand that. But I can't do the things that I was doing at 20. True. That's exactly right. So I'm saying your uh, expectations have to be realistic, but that's not to say that it should overly limit you either. Um, I think it would be fair to say that um, as a, well, a person who's going to turn 69 this year, um, I would probably be in you know, some of the top percentages, regardless of age, of overall fitness yeah so you know that's that's something that you should aspire to, to i guess i mean at least some aspects uh, of your life have to take that physical component into account and as you very well point out there's mental aspects of that as yeah. well of course but do you ever like feel like your brain is limiting you because you're saying to yourself like i'm i'm 60 yep. what was it 61 69 69 so like i'm 69 i can't do that or do you find like your brain talking to you in a different way going, well, I'm 69 and um, I might not do it like that, but I, but I want to do this. So it's a shift in your, in your thinking as opposed to a limiting factor. Correct. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Look, I don't see it as a limitation. There's, 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 I can't think of anything at the moment that I can't do. You know, I might not be able to do it as well as, you know, as an elite athlete, for example, but I can certainly do it. Uh, I think more to the point at the moment is um, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the justification behind it? Are, you know, are you getting a kick out of it? And again, I am not saying that uh, you know you're out there on the trail and always have to feel like you're off with the fairies. You know, there are some times which it's just darn tough, and sometimes you just got to push through that. You know, I've been in that situation plenty of times. So look, no, I don't see it. I mean, you, the same that I the aspect that I was talking about physically you can certainly apply mentally mm. because I was trained and built up expertise in, in effectively what you'd call analytical ecology it was very mathematical uh, in, the, in some aspects of it and I had to do a lot of programming work <clears throat> because there wasn't anything around I was in a research environment so I had to write my own programs to test my own ideas out it became pretty apparent over time that my ability to solve a problem that might have taken five minutes when I was 25 
you know, it was probably going to take me an hour or two, you know, at 45. You just had to realize that, you know, my brain is not quite as good as it used to be. (laughs) But guess what? I can still get to the solution. It is just going to take me longer. Or if you're smarter when you get older, you know, supposed to be wiser maybe, you go, "Eh, I'll walk down the corridor and ask somebody. (laughs) So that raises a question then, Lee. Um, no, I've got two. I've got two burning questions. I'm not sure which one to ask first. I think the one I want to ask first is then when you confront a challenge, maybe it's suddenly you realize, I mean, this is happening to me at the moment. Suddenly I'm realizing I can't go out and run a tempo run for as long as I used to without pulling up, feeling like I'm risking injury. So I'm happening to suddenly go, well, gee, like, what do I do? What do, how do I address this differently, given that I want to create a similar outcome? Um, do you, when you have moments like that, and partly that's coming from an aging process, do you feel like you um, delve into the science and try to find the answers, or do you, do you go back into yourself and, and follow intuition? I think it's certainly a bit of both, <clears throat> because if I was in that situation where I'm you know, not pulling up as well as I expected to be, and you know, the question, the first question is why. And in the process of doing it, I'm often thinking about what did I do in the last 24 hours, um, you know. And often there are, you know, very specific reasons you know, that you're in that situation. There just as easily could be you are running across some physical limitations, and you've got to try and figure out. You know, and again, I would take a scientific approach to it. You know, but intuition certainly comes into it. I think if you're you know, thinking reasonably objectively about it. In other words, where's the evidence for, you know, a decision about where you feel the problem actually is? Mm. <coughs> and the problem could be, um, could be very much, you know, mental attitude, could be something very physical, like you had the wrong breakfast cereal. Mm. Uh, what you have to figure out, though, is, um, well, okay, now that I've actually got what I think is the reasoning behind it, I'll keep an eye on that and actually try and validate that or get through it if necessary. There may be a situation where you literally are hitting a wall. In other words, you may get uh, you know overuse injury type stuff and you literally know you've got to back off. Mm. And then the question is, well, why has this occurred now? Does it mean if I repeat the process you know, but change a few other things, am I going to hit that same wall? Mm. Or as a part of re-evaluating how I got there, I can actually work my way through it. So that's a fairly scientific approach to it. It is. And like there's a famous Albert Einstein quote, which I actually have on my website, which is like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah. But I feel like intuition really fails you. But it is hard to have it it in a modern world, Um, (coughs) especially when you're surrounded by... People who have similar interests and people have excitement and you can get Mm -hmm. swept along in the tide of that. Yes. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah, that's part of the reason why I also had that race where I started at the back. Because you're jumping out of your skin and sometimes you go out a bit too quickly. If you start at the back, guess what? You can't go out quickly. So, yes, but your intuition... Intuition requires quietness. Yeah. If you're continually operating in a, you know, a hustle bustle, you know, over um, achieving, you know, uh, spread too thinly across too many things, you cannot always expect intuition to be realistic. Mm. You need the quiet times. 
myself um, what I do, well, I probably do it more in wintertime, is after I finish my run swim in the mornings. It's usually pretty cold. The river is usually about nine centigrade. And uh, so I come back to save water. I jump into a spa. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the spa. I have a wonderful view of Mount Wellington across Frederick Henry Bay. And that's when I actually just switch off, um, do a little bit of serious thought about uh, where am I, okay? So that's, that's just a, a realignment, a sort of a re-evaluation time. So yes, I think women and intuition, another stereotype, but yes, generally speaking, that's true. Uh, but to achieve it, you have to be confident, I think, in yourself, not to dismiss things, because women are very much perfectionist guys take challenges and bugger the consequences mm. um, but okay you need a bit of time for that intuition to to operate but yes there's no guarantee it's going to be correct under all circumstances yeah oh interesting this is leading me to um, a thought process around the concept of balance and I've mm-hmm. talked about balance a little bit on the podcast with a number of different guests and most of them have like a feeling that it's probably an unfair unfair I guess pressure on ourselves to be seeking balance and I've been doing a bit of homework Mm. around balance Um, um, there's a very famous psychologist that I'm absolutely loving his podcast um, and the Finding Mastery podcast so a guy by the name of Michael Gervais and he talks about balance as actually being like if you're searching for balance then you're immediately you're telling yourself you're out of balance And if you're searching for balance, then you're striving for something in the future rather than being in the now. So he talks about this needing to swap balance with the concept of presence coming back into the now. And I like maybe wonder what you what you think about this. Look, it's a pretty subtle one. Uh, Balance is not something you you can think of those four points that I suggested, and you're you're in the centre of that with with rubber bands connecting those four Mm, things. You know, you're never, ever going to be in the centre. I think the benefit of something like that, you know, physical, spiritual, you know, mental, social approach is it's a bit of a checklist every now and again. So when I get into my spa bath, that's the sort of thing I start thinking about. You know, and, well, have I been social this morning? No, I haven't seen anyone else on the beach. I mean, it's kind of crazy, but you say, oh, I really should be catching up with my friends and investing in time with them. So I wouldn't necessarily go along with the future. It's just a... You know, it's just a bit of a checklist, you know, and the, so the concept of balance to me is extremely important. Yeah, right. I would under no circumstance dismiss yeah. it because there is just so much common sense and scientific sense. If you look at a lot of the studies uh, that, uh, that um, support it, but you, look, you're never going to be in the centre. Yeah. And people are going to find, of course, with personality differences, you know, you're oriented in other directions and you... Your balance is different to my balance, you know. That's a given. Yeah. I have this little vision of myself when I'm like really grey and really old and <laughs> it's my last day on the planet and I'm sitting in my rocking chair yep. and I'm just going, now I'm in balance. Like that, I, that I've lived this life that has probably been completely out of balance but when it sums up, I, I, I made it. <laughs> I made it to the middle. Um, no, you don't make it to the middle. You make it to a point where I think you're, you're comfortable it's that point about you know enjoyment and getting paid for it. You know, make sure you're doing things that you're actually enjoying. And if you're not enjoying something, have a good think about it. Yeah. 
Okay, so you've talked about punctuated equilibrium now on a couple yep. of occasions, and you brought it up in an email when I was trying to drag you onto the podcast. Mm. Um, I, I've done my homework, and I guess I'm really fascinated by this theory that's arisen out of biological sciences, and I think it was also paleontology when I was having a good read about it. Yes. And you, it, by my understanding, it's, a, it's trying to explain... A phenomenon where things seem to stay in a in a place of relative stasis. Correct. So there's like small ebbs and flows and growths and you know fallbacks, but then this stasis is suddenly punctuated by an event, which could come from an external source or it could come from a deep sense of internal needing to change, at which there's a rapid period of growth before they refine a new equilibrium, a new stasis. Is that? Correct. That's correct. I mean, the paleontological background for it was that you look at rocks the further down, if you've got a f set of sedimentary rocks, the ones at the bottom are older than the ones at the top. Hmm. But if you looked at the, the fossils in the rocks, you just don't see this regular change. What you tend to see is you get this layer that's just loaded with fossils, you know, and then it will peter out and then you will start to see it coming again. Ah, okay. So the, the original idea was that was that evolution didn't appear to be uh, continuous. You had things like species, in this case, going along and uh, suffering very little change. And then all of a sudden, you get what's called speciation. From this one species, you would get to see a whole bunch of new species occur. Mm. And this occurred across multiple different uh, kingdoms, you know, plants and animals. So it was just a hypothesis. And when I... When I ran across it, I said, oh, well, I, was, uh, I had been trained in paleontology. I said, hmm, that makes sense. So then the point was, actually, that applies, could apply very nicely yeah. to life. So when you have these career changes, you know, they represent times of the punctuation. <laughs> it's like a redirection, like, oh, you know, but it could be that you've come to a understanding something about your own life and you say, no, I really need to be in a different place. Yeah. And it's, yes, while I might re-examine my, you know, balance in the morning, you know, you don't expect, oh, I go that way, oop, I go that way. You know, you really need periods of time, you know, of stability because, you know, um, people like a place called home. You know, this is home. Uh, and you do need that. Um, in other words, it's like a foundation, I suppose, to yeah. operate from. It's like an option for a springboard. Yeah, my father used to talk about rocks. And I think, again, I brought this up a couple of times on the, this podcast now, but it, it's a, for me, it's a very profound thing because he, he met, explains rocks as being a stability base, whether it's a place or a person or a, or a job or a role or a place in your community where you feel a really, really strong attachment and sense of belonging to. And from then, you know, the world could be spinning completely out of control, but that rock holds you steady. Yep. And I've had times in my life, not many, but a few occasions when it feels like I've been put in a washing machine and all of my rocks have disappeared and wow. you feel like you are completely spinning. Yeah. So I kind of, I feel like this concept of a home base is probably represented by this notion of like a rock as well. Exactly. Yeah. It, it certainly is that. You just, you will be schizophrenic if you attempt to be 
under continual change. Yeah. Um, well, the very fact that you look at most organisations and you can bet your life they've had some consultants in that deal with change management. Mm. <laughs> Why is that a big effort? Um, well, because it is traumatic. Mm. Okay. Yes, it can bring about results. In other words, change is a very necessary thing. Uh, evolution, you know, in both personality and species, you know, from a science point of view or a very personal point of view, is a very necessary thing. But it is very unwise for it to be continuous. Yeah. Because you, you, you lose that track of a home base. Yeah. With which uh, it's like a battery to come back to, to charge up and not operate from. So that leads me to a question then, Lee. Do you feel that the punctuation, let's call them a punctuation mark for now. Yep. Um, do you feel like the punctuation marks always come from a place of like, need to change which is normally coming from a place of pain or unsettledness or do you think the punctuation marks can also come from a place of like reaching a success reaching an outcome or like a almost like a positive event both easy easy answer yeah both it can come from internal come from external it could come something very self-imposed it can come from someone coming along and basically hitting you on the head with a hammer (laughs) Um, and, and sometimes that that's the only way you will get across to, to, to yeah. someone to make a change. Someone will hit a wall and so yeah, both. Okay. So do you have an example of a punctuation mark in your, <coughs> in your life that is really memorable that really created profound change? That's a very good question. I think probably the, the quick answer to that is having children. Mm, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's the real obvious easy answer. I'm sure there's a lot of heads nodding at this point in. <laughs> yes, if, you know, if you're, you're a child or if you've had a child, you will see that. Um, I think in my case, again, the particular guy thing, I suppose, the, the significant changes have come about with career changes. Because in my case, you know, I've gone from being a you know, consultant geologist to teaching geosciences, uh, to learning uh, and doing research in ecology, to information management, to management in general, and now I'm back into consulting. Um, and each one of those, you know, you is reasonably significant, although there are obviously some common threads. But they are, you know, for for someone of my age. It's actually unusual. I've got plenty of friends that have been operating in the same job for most of their lives. Okay, so that's that's the fairly obvious male career thing. Um, but taking that example then, yep. Lee, have those um, <coughs> punctuation marks that have occurred in your working career, yep. has that um, changed your total equilibrium as a person like as in has it has it flowed right down to the family level and the ground level yes yeah most definitely i'll give you an example we talked about the antarctic division work well someone from the antarctic division um, chased me for this job for probably about six months and part of the reason it was such a difficult thing to do was that it meant moving from canberra where i was working at the time uh, down to hobart and my children were in well it was either second last uh, year of high school <laughs> or just into um, senior high school and they did not want to leave okay. you know they we have our friends and we're old enough to stay by ourselves we actually left the kids so a lot of a lot of people say you know well the kids have left home well in this case the parents <laughs> left home so that was kind of traumatic um, mm. both for myself but obviously particularly for my wife 
because you know I think the mother you know the ki- when the kids leave home it is obviously a pretty traumatic affair I remember that from my poor mum yeah. <laughs> she, she wasn't too excited about me leaving home <laughs> I, yeah I don't blame her it's, yeah. it's a it's one of those big rifts in life but that's one of those punctuation yeah. points but so yes in this case that that concept of a career change ended up you know, being a significant family life change, change. Um, yeah. very much life changing, right down through to uh, my family. And my kids ended up moving down to Tasmania. <coughs> you know, but it was a pretty tough period of time, I must admit. And you had to, like anything else, you had to be very thoughtful about. Uh, ensuring you could see other people's perspective on that. Mm. So it affected you, but you had to realise, guess what, it's affecting a bunch of other people around you and you have to have some thought about that. Yeah. I noticed, uh, I mean, you wrote to me a very profound email when I was trying to get get to know you and to get ready for the podcast. And it, it did mention that, you know, you went through some significant grief events like a while back with family Um, and the loss of someone pretty close to you and I mean I'm really interested because a lot of the people that I work with um, in life coaching but also in performance coaching come to me when they are in a place of pain or challenge and they're seeking that moral support so a lot of people go through grief and I'm really interested to know with um, just maybe to understand how you dealt with that was did physical and sport and exercise become a part of that coping mechanism or burying yourself in work or was there, were there other things that you used to support you through that time look that's a good question um it's still the time when i lost my son would have been the most you know, um, tough situation i think that my wife and myself and my daughter you know really went yeah. through look I, I still would come back to that concept of balance if you are understanding yourself and if you are appreciative and loving and of the your inner circle of family and friends, you're in a lot better situation to handle mm. that. Um, so we struggled. I mean, is this, <laughs> it's going to be something you are always going to struggle with for the rest of your life. But at the time, certainly back closer to that time, I mean, it was a profound hit because it didn't happen over a long period of time and something mm. that happened quite quickly <clears throat> but I think we ended up coping with it because of the love and support of the of the family and I think one of the things that we learned through that was some of our closest friends were were um, oh, incredibly sympathetic but were almost scared to raise the issue mm. and look you know very understandable and as long as you understood that you know at the time you thought well why why aren't people you know surrounding us more and in many ways they were just scared stiff particularly my friends the guys yeah. you know who didn't want to be emotional and didn't want to raise the issue but the way we handled it in many respects was that concept of balance again and mm. no I didn't go out more running or anything I just did what I normally do it was again a bit of the home base um, you know you certainly had to uh, redirect some of the thinking, uh, no doubt about it, because I found I'd go down a rabbit hole if I focused on it too much. And certainly, you know, but it's it's like anything, uh, the, you know, going for a run you know, can quite 
often deal with depression. Yeah. You know, so look, it's no different. Um, so you kept that physical up, but you kept your social up. The spiritual, you go out and just say, I'm just so much enjoying the eucalypse this morning. Yeah. You know, it, it's the same thing. And the social, well, yes, don't cut yourself off from society. Yes, some of your close friends are scared stiff of raising the issue, but that doesn't make them not your friends. Yeah. Now, at one stage, I mentioned it to my GP, and he said, oh, you know, you should get some coaching. You know, some, uh, sorry, you should go and see a, um, a psychologist and just see how you're doing. <laughs> and my wife and I turned up and... Uh, after talking to him for a while, and uh, she ended up saying, well, I think you're actually handling this as well as you possibly could. Wow. So it was a bit of confirmation that, you know, well, we have to keep on. You know, you do at times feel like turning up your toes. Mm. Just going, Ugh. Um, But, you know, that was nice. But again, that was probably the reason I said, yes, I'll go and do it. It was again probably the bit of science and going... I can see what's happening, you know, yes, I'm talking to my wife and my daughter about it, but we're not the planet. So yes, it's good to get an external reference point. Yeah. So in that case, that turned out to confirm we were, you know, in a reasonable place. And uh, I think that's a good thing. It's yeah. like someone approaches you for coaching. I think that's an incredibly great thing to do because you do need the external reference points. Yeah. But it's interesting what you talk about, about people... Um, not wanting to bring it up and that's certainly been my own experience is going through tough times is it feels like you're living with a freaking elephant in the room yeah. and um, you might be okay at pulling the blanket off the elephant and revealing him but it's interesting how other people can struggle with that you bet. yeah but it sounds like through that process then you know you've allowed yourself to to re kind of connect with yourself and to find your own sense of equilibrium and then i'm guessing the play just kind of began to bubble back to the surface again over time correct and then the performance probably came yeah it's true curious i'm trying to I'm trying to prove my theory here <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you do with it <laughs> yeah i guess like moving forward and aware of the time like i'm i'm quite interested obviously by athleticism and yep. how people can strive for athleticism and i'm also completely fascinated and i'm going to have to come back to this in a moment by the fact that in in your entire history supposedly according to you um you've never been injured which is absolutely phenomenal like it really is so first and foremost i guess my question is around the theory of punctuated equilibrium if we were to apply it to an athlete development model mm -hmm. my experience with working with a lot of people and it's not just in athletics it's you know as in sport it's also in careers and life in general is that there's very much a, a linear model of progression that people tend to follow or get on and it's like the push 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 and then eventually something happens now whether that's a blooming of success or whether that's something like a crash and often mm. it's both over time Correct. to me then if we're talking about punctuated equilibrium as like a biological model yep. it would seem that that linear approach of push 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 and crash or bloom is defying a more like a more natural way Correct. Can you can yep. you help me out here because because my brain is struggling with this because mm -hmm. I I guess that's why I wanted you on the podcast was like as soon as you raise this concept of punctuated equilibrium like that just makes complete sense to me. Mm. Um, the push 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 cycle doesn't make sense to me. I, no, 
And I think that's asking for trouble. Um, it's that same reason that you need a home base now. That's applied to life in general. Now what you're talking about is athleticism. Um, or maybe, let's just say, some exercise that's leading towards some major events. Mm. You know, that's, that's something much more specific, admittedly. But I think the same principle applies. In other words, I think if, if you're starting off from a zero base, um, I still think you end up uh, taking it in, in stages, but those stages are not continually sort of jumping up. I have a tendency when I was... Uh, training people to say, you know, someone who's never, never done any running, would mm. love to do running and are capable of doing it, I would actually tell them to go for a walk for a week. Yeah. And just huh. walk for, you know, go for a walk for a couple of Ks, you know. Um, if you've got somewhere around uh, where you're living or where you're working that you actually enjoy walking, important point. Uh, and if you've got the, you know, you've got the reasonable gear, decent set of shoes so you're not going to be prone to injury or whatever... But just go out and do some walking. You know, come back in ten days' time. Don't increase it. Just, just build up. That's mind you. This is if you've got time. Mm. But the principle applies. It doesn't matter what you're. If you're heading for something that's uh, well, I I would never operate anything less than six weeks. <laughs> to me, that's sort of almost a minimum time to expect any change in a human. Well, individual. you would think if you if we're following <coughs> a more punctuated equilibrium model, like this, we're talking about a progression of of development that happens over a very prolonged period of time. Correct. And I'm guessing that that's probably where your your ability to prevent injury from occurring has actually happened. Yes. Because you started at such a young age in the sport of cycling and then you've trained, well, relatively. It, like, look, it's true, but I mean, it still applies to what I'm doing right now. I mean, the same principle applies. Um, but I still think, the you know, what you call baseline, you know, as I said to you in an email, like at one stage, I just call it lifestyle. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is refreshing, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and yes, it is a baseline. Uh, it's a place to operate at. But like what I'm operating at now has been reasonably constant now for quite a number of years. So, you know, that's part <coughs> of the reason I don't get injured. I know, you know, what my limitations are. Um, <clears throat> so... Yes. Look, I think it very much applies when you're going to, you know, if you're running a marathon or regardless, that same principle, I think, works well. I think you, you talk about waves. It's, that's very similar uh, because I, I think, again, if you're thinking about uh, overuse injuries, mm. you know, that baseline has to be thought out very carefully. And by definition, if you're pushing at a high level constantly, you're going to get overuse. Yeah, and I feel like the longer the baseline can be put in place, the better your ability to prevent injury comes. Correct. If, especially when we're talking about an aerobic baseline. Correct. Yeah. I guess that probably leads me to a question then that I had, which is like you, you brought up my theory of wave training. I mean, I've got podcasts on it, so people can go back and listen to those. Um, yeah. I prepare the punctuation marks when I train people in a in a wave training theory so every three weeks for example we put in like a big mission it's like a yep. wicked adventure yep. and it's there because one needs a punctuation mark from which to grow into the next phase from it's the same even like day to day you know every three days i put a mini punctuation mark let's call it like a comma in there which is like a hard day of training which can stretch the body then when you recover it, you obviously gain strength from it so in this kind of concept of a punctuated equilibrium, do you believe that we can put in the um, 
in the punctuation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Most definitely. But the trick is to be starting from base where that activity is capable of being supported. Yeah. Uh, in other words, if you've got a high intensity, you have to be incredibly careful, at least in the first attempt at that high intensity, that that doesn't break the bank. Yeah. In other words, you, you first up assess, in your case, you would assess the person's baseline. You would literally and most wisely deal with them very directly about that punctuation yeah. and monitor them very carefully during yeah. it and see you know, to what extent you can extend that. And then you could use that. As a, as a base then itself yeah. for repetition. It's also interesting, like sometimes I feel like you have to actually pull them back from wherever they've been yep. and give them more of a foundation. And I'm even thinking about myself at the moment, you know, coming back from mm -hmm. a grumpy Achilles, which popped up for whatever reason. Yep. Um, and that's another story. But I've had my original baseline where I used to be is now no longer my baseline where I am yes. now. And yeah. so I think like when we're talking about punctuated equilibrium, my brain is trying to see it as this pretty little stepped process that goes up and up and up. Mm -mm. But I actually don't mm -mm. think it is, is it? It's no. more like an up and a down and a down and a down and an up and an up and a down. And That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, huh. you've still got a place to call home. <coughs> but, you know, there, there are... Oh, a good example is... Uh, Lately, I've had a whole stack of skin cancers cut off, you know, and some plastic surgery and biopsies and whatever. And no, I'm not allowed to go swimming. Mm. So, oh, I can't go swimming, which means it throws my routine totally. So what do I do? Well, I go, just go for a walk. Okay. Mm. And that's much lower intensity than my normal week. And guess what? I feel happy enough about it. I've got a good baseline of fitness to operate on. Yes, I'm going to lose some running fitness, but, you know, it's no big deal. And it's punctuated. And I don't... I don't see it as a problem. In this particular case, it's like forced on me. No. But that's fine. But, but I think it's coming from this concept like people think that growing is about going up and up and up and up and up. And in yes. fact, there was a guy called Bruce Tuckman who in 1968 came out with this theory that he called adaptive response. Yep. And it was this concept of forming, storming, norming, oh, yes. performing. Yes. And then I think later on they added adjourning. Yes. towards the end of it and i think that so represents like the western way of of picturing growth it's like i i start i achieve like i conquer i you know yes. um but I, but i think growth is not an up and up process yes and i think like for me you know six months of coming back from grumpy achilles and i mean i'm getting there now but mm -hmm. i've had maybe a couple of days where i felt vitally frustrated Mm -hmm. But I think the rest of the time I've actually been like seeing it as almost like a, a blessing because yep. I feel like I'm growing. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a hell of a lot slower than I used to be and I'm a hell of a lot like heavier <laughs> on my feet, but I feel stronger. I've learned a lot from the process and therefore I'm, I'm excited because I've got growth in me and I can't wait to share that with everyone. So I, I like, yes. yeah. I, Most definitely. I'm probably ranting, but I no. I get frustrated when we see athletes and people in general, yes, just on this constant upward spiral. And it was interesting because yesterday I was consulting with a gentleman, um, a really amazing guy who was striving for his first 100K event. Yep. But he'd sent me this very long email leading up to it and so much of it was saying, I feel like I only have one gear. I don't feel like I'm improving. I feel like... When I started talking, uh, asking him about his training, he was saying about how like 
you know, Mondays was a hard swim, Tuesdays was a hard run, Wednesdays was a hard swim, Thursdays was a hard run, Fridays was a swim, Saturday was a hard run, and Sundays was a long run. And I said, is this like what you do every week? (laughs) And he goes, yeah, well, I mean, occasionally I have a rest week and sometimes it works for me and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, in general, yes. And I said, so does it surprise you that you're not growing and not seeing a revolution in yourself? And um, and he was like, oh. And I think like sometimes we do have to do have to step back, hey, to to see that growth and to be okay with stepping back to go forwards again. Exactly. Look, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the bottom line is you do need stability in almost regardless of what you're talking about. You need mm. elements of stability in there, but yes you can be in a situation where you're stable but sitting at too high a level for your current uh well desires and physical abilities and mental abilities for that matter yeah so you've got to be very very conscious that that um, baseline that you're operating on your lifestyle or your training regime whatever you're heading towards an event is set at the right baseline fundamentally so you're looking right and uh it's wonderful to hear you say you know "Eh." I haven't felt bad about sort of having to step yeah. down. That's like, oh, that's a sign of maturity. <laughs> I think it's like you. I think it's a sign of like a, a happiness in self. Yes. And I think it's easy to feel happy in yourself when everything is going peachy, wonderful, rosy. Correct. But it's really sometimes quite hard to feel happy in yourself when when things are hard. And I'm excited because I feel happy in myself, even though you know I've had a lot of challenges and a lot of punctuations thrown at me recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it doesn't take much to do it. I think one of the key issues that we have to be aware of and maybe keep a watch out for uh, if you study psychology, you'll see that all you really really need is three sort of unusually bad things or something you will interpret as being bad happening to you at the same time, Mm -hmm. and that will tip people seriously upside down. Uh, But 99% (laughs) of the battle is actually recognizing it. Ah. I've got these three things occurring at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've actually then probably solved it by 90%, just by yeah, the recognition just by of being it. aware of it. Yeah. Oh, Lee, this is exciting. Okay, I want to move forward. Um, how do you believe that you have been able to avoid injury? I mean, we've talked about the smartness and the punctuations in here, but I guess put it into practical words for us to understand. Um, I think it's largely as a consequence of that baseline and the whole punctuated equilibrium thing. I really do. In other words, the baseline is not set too high. So so while I'm on that, it's been something through experience that I know is not going to cause me injuries. And the other aspect to it, which is significant, uh, particularly when I've been trying to support people, is mentally (laughs) you're in the right place too. Mm. Because... You know, there's nothing worse than sort of, you know, I'm fed up with running. You know, that, you know, well, okay, you can do something else, admittedly. But I don't want to be in that position. So all I'm really saying is it's not just a physical thing again. There's mental components to it. So why have I not had any injuries? Effectively, it's a realistic baseline. Um, Again, it's not in the situation where I have run into repetitive-type injuries. Uh, like say in the case of running, one thing I'm quite conscious of, I do not run extended on hard surfaces. Mm-hmm. That's part of the reason I enjoy trail running because you're stepping differently for every single step mm. you pretty much take. And that is a good thing for the body. Uh, 
Um, but when you're gearing up to stretch, maybe yes. you've got an event coming up or you yes. really want to go, hey, like, can I get to a higher level than this? And you talked about running some pretty quick marathons back in the day. Um, so I guess do you, when you're stretching, how do you manage that fine line of like pushing your body so that it's adapting versus pushing it to a place where it'll injure? Okay. Um, because I've got a reasonable baseline, I know I'm in a position where I can, in other words, it is a baseline, so I know I can extend beyond it. But when I extend beyond it, I'm incredibly conscious all the way when I'm stepping it up. Yeah. Like I'll, you know, if I come along and I've warmed up, I've got a, you know, a favorite Saturday run where it's nicely designed for a nice warm up, a gentle grade, and then it starts going up. And if I decide to push it, I push it on that hill. That's the other thing we have in common, I think. I love that hills. That hills are so good for you yeah. because yes, but you see what I mean. You know um, yourself that okay, if Lee's going to push it to step up the mark, he's going to step it up on the hills after being nicely warmed up, mm. and I can step it up, and I know exactly what my limits are because of experience to a large extent on that, and I know I've got a good baseline, so I don't have to worry too much about that. So my guess is that's probably how I'd say that I haven't run across injuries because yeah. I know, you know, yes, it doesn't do any harm to push it, you know, to sprint up a hill at a great rate of knots, attempt to four kilometre up a 30% incline or something stupid. Um, but in the process of doing that, you reckon, you know, your body's telling you from experience, you know, watch out. Um, and do you feel then when you get home you step up the recovery to meet yes. the up to low? Like are you very right. conscious of that process? <coughs> yeah, that's correct. Um, you really do. Uh, I don't think I've got a formula for it, but uh, the way I would look at it is, you know, oh, I worked hard yesterday. I deserve to, to not push back to the standard base. I need to come down underneath that. I need to go out and, and uh, have a walk with the fairies, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I'm not as clinical I, you know, in my lifestyle now um, as a consequence of fewer events that I get involved in. But it's still very much a, you know, your body does need time to recover. Um, I'm very conscious of it. My, I can tell, you know, if I start out for a run, I went, ooh, okay, you've actually probably done a few too many kilometres. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll be aware of that right from the word go. And what do you do? Back off. Okay. Does or that stop. mean like, yeah, like literally just go not today, go home? Or could, is that... It could very re- readily be. Or do something else. Yeah. You know, go for a swim. You That's know, rare. Go for a walk. It is so rare for someone <coughs> to get all kitted up, get their shoes on, have a plan, get out the door and not feel like it and not think that they'll push through that and wait, you know, and then... I'll recover tomorrow mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I agree, but I'm I, I'm very, as I said, I'm very conscious of my body when I've done too much. Yeah. You know, there are you know, even times in the last couple of weeks where I just suddenly realised what I quite often do is I'll, in a fairly good day because I'm I'm lucky enough to work from home, um, I'll get out and do my baseline morning run, which has got a bit of a swim in it as well. And um, if I'm lucky enough, the surf is up in the afternoon and I'll get out. And that basically is nice because it's complementary upper body, lower body. So it's very complementary. But guess what? If I I have an hour and a half or two hours out there in the surf, the next morning, I know very well. I mean, yes, I can go out and run, 
I probably could even run the same baseline pace, but I just, my body will go, hmm, this doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. In the case, I remember when I was teaching aerobics, you know, the one thing that women certainly have is you run into amenorrhea. Yes. You know, that's like, guess what? Yeah, I think girls are lucky to have that, that um, it's like a red light or it's more like an orange light that warns you when you're, when you're pushing beyond where your body's quite comfortable. And to be honest, sometimes you have to go through that if you really want to get the best out of yourself. Totally agree. Um, it's, I guess, yeah, weighing up the consequences of it for yes. you. Whereas I think it's much harder for men. Um, and you don't seem to have the same mood changes that women will also have when they're under a, a stressful period. That's yeah, true. We so, have them, yes. but they're a lesser extent. Yeah. And often they're unacknowledged, but they are still there. Yeah, and you have your little man caves that you go into, so Correct. sometimes they're not completely visible to, <laughs> to us females. But, um, yeah, but, but do you feel that recovery has changed for you as you have got older? And I know I keep bringing about the age thing, but I, I'm, very, mm-hmm. I'm very aware of quite a number of our listeners um, who are really struggling to, I guess, adapt with, the demands of aging yes who are saying like it does take them a lot longer to recover that's correct yeah i think it does i mean the same level of intensity that you did 10 years ago is definitely going to have a longer effect on you mm-hmm. you just have to be aware of it and uh, it's well guess what that's life you've mm-hmm. got to deal with it i mean it is tough if you're heading you know for training to events you know that's a much harder thing to do because I'm, you know, where I am currently, I'm not aiming specifically at an event in the future. You know, uh, but, okay, if you are, then you've got to be much more aware, I think, of the recovery periods and what the implication is of that to the achievement that you yeah. want to get to the starting line to be at that level of fitness. So then if we were to look at your life, Lee, as like a piece of text, yep. would the punctuation marks be spread further apart as... The text has gone on or do you think they're just they're still there but you're aware of the heightened need for the recovery and to go back into stasis after each punctuation i think as i get older i'm more aware of those punctuation yeah. points yeah because i'm happier in myself i know where i am so when something comes along it's much more recognizable or the other aspect of it is when something needs to come along <laughs> you're capable of um, pushing it through. Mm-hmm. Okay. So maybe then just to, to come right back to, um, right back to, I guess, a point of conclusion. Where do you see yourself in 10 years' time? Uh, very good point. Very probably, profound question, but curious. Probably enjoying more surfing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Loving it. Um, look, I say that's true. I would very much like to, again, coming back to those four points, one of them the intellectual, that's something, I mean, if it's the day, as you say, you're in your rocking chair, I would still think of that, those four things, they are still <laughs> all relevant. And yes, you may be in a slightly different position in relation to them, you know, at that particular point in time, but they're still all important. Mm. Uh, so in 10 years time, I would still like to be reading, maybe I can't read as much as I do now but maybe I can read more I'll have more time mm. to do it um, I and I so I still want to keep the uh, thoughts going uh, the reason I'm training somebody now is an open recognition that you know my mind is not as good 
you know, it'll not be as good in 10 years as it is now. So I'm specifically training, mentoring up uh, one person in particular, you know, to take over and they'll bring different aspects to it than what I've done. So there's, in 10 years' time, I would expect them to be well and truly fully trained and mostly taken over from what I'm doing. I probably doubt that I will be doing exactly the same thing in 10 years' time as what I'm doing now. Physically, I probably won't be massively different in 10 years. I still think that I probably will have a reasonable baseline. Um, I may not run the kilometres that I'm doing now in a week or swim or, you know, surf quite as much, but I'd still like to be doing it. The way I would see it at the moment, i still like to be doing it. And I still want to be able to have uh, time with and value my friends, etc. So, yes, and there's going to be some punctuation points like there, but at the moment I'm aware of some of them. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, let's face it, I can't sit around corners. So. I love it. Yeah. Surfing, friends, learning, growing. Sounds pretty awesome to me. <laughs> and probably not too different from where I want to be in 10 years. Probably not surfing. I'm not very good at that. But, um, <laughs> you can't be but good at everything. I liked the one I think you mentioned in an email, like sitting on top of a mountain. Like, yeah, I can feel that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess my final question is like, it's quite nice, I think, to always look back and think about how far you've come and how far you, or like how much you've learned. And I think I like thinking about, well, I'm writing a book at the moment. And as I write the book, I keep thinking about like, what, what would I have loved or what would I love to be able to say to my younger self, like even mm. in her mid teens. <clears throat> and I guess I'm curious to know if you were to look back and you're welcome to pick an age bracket that you feel is relevant, but what you would tell your younger self. <clears throat> well, that's a very, very good question. And it uh, probably requires a lot more thought time than I'm giving it now. I, I think I would actually talk about the balance still, to be truthful. Mm. It, it say, look, you know, just be aware of it uh, in, and have an opportunity you know, during a week where you reflect upon you know, where you're at in relation to these things. Um, my younger self would have the same sort of personality, so what is the personality flaw? probably the desire, I suppose, for acknowledgement or recognition. Um, I think I'd say to my younger self, you know, eh, like, just, just get on with it. Don't worry <laughs> what other people think, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Um, if you're in a place that you really enjoy being, guess what? You'll probably be doing a pretty good job of it. You don't need to worry <clears throat> about your ego. You know, um, that'll look after it. Be wild, play wild, perform wild. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it, Lee. Today's been, for me, like, oh, man, I could just go for hours. I have much, like, many more theories that I've, I've learned about, read about, that I'd love to chat about with you. I, I feel really grateful that you came in to my world trying to, or um, willing to give us some feedback on the podcast, and then I've been able to rope you into the podcast. <laughs> so thank you for, um, for joining, and um, I hope that yeah, I hope that the next period of time really does have some really amazing punctuation marks in it for you. Thank you, Hannah. It's been a real joy. Thank you.